welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Alright, we're going to be continuing on today looking at God's love for us. And we, we talked about this last week and started off and... Uh, we're going to be coming back and, and looking at some different aspects of God's love for us today. I don't know if you're getting sick of talking about this yet, hopefully not, but uh, it's a great thing and it's a really important thing for us to be reminded of that, that foundation of our relationship with our, our loving Heavenly Father and how that's expressed. Um, and, and one of the things that I want to, I guess I want to talk about and, and focus on this morning is what is... Uh, last week we looked at the story of Hosea and uh, the picture that that story gives us of God's love and the relationship that He wants to have with us and, and how uh, marriage is often uh, used as an illustration of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And it talks of intimacy and it talks of passion and it talks of exclusiveness uh, and faithfulness and it talks of permanence. Um, but I, wanna, I, I guess look at some different aspects. When, now, when I think about love, one of the great resources and, and books that my parents gave to me when I was a, a newly newlywed, a young married man, was a, a book that many of you have probably read called The Five Love Languages. Who's read The Five Love Languages? Three? Some, I think there's some more of you that need to read this one. We'll have to get some copies in there in our book library. Um, but some of you are probably familiar with the concept. We've talked about it here in church before. It doesn't just apply to, to marriage or between husbands and wives, but it, it's a really good book that helps us to understand different ways that we express or communicate love. And so I want to have a look at, kind of, I guess through this lens a little bit this morning, looking at what is love. How do we understand what it means to love? Because we live in a world that has all kinds of different messages about what love is, don't we? Now, I don't know what kind of images conjure up in your mind when you start talking about love. Maybe uh, their image is a little bit like this, you know, it's like the, the man and he's down on one knee and he's confessing his undying devotion to his, uh, you know, soon-to-be fiancé or, or perhaps something along the lines of that. Maybe that's the kind of image that's conjured up when you think of love. Maybe that's the first thing. Uh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's, you know, Dad sitting there and reading bedtime stories to the kids and just spending time with them and, and communicating and sharing and just being with them. Maybe, maybe family is kind of your, the first thing that comes to mind. Maybe it just might depend a little bit on what stage of life you're at, perhaps. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe um, if you're kind of anything like some of the folks in our house um, and, and you're into like Disney and Disney princesses and stuff, maybe there's this kind of image that conjures up when you think of love. Who's seen this movie? Yeah, yes. So you all know this dramatic moment when we have an act of true love, when Anna sacrifices herself. Uh, Anna, sorry, <laughs> get it right, or I'll be told off later. Uh, Anna sacrifices herself for her sister in an act of true love. And it's the dramatic moment when we're all waiting for the big romantic kiss with the prince and, you know, and it kind of didn't work out that way. It was a bit of a different story. But maybe that's the kind of true love, that sacrificing for others or, or something that conjures up in your mind. But in, the, the thing is that unless we have 
an accurate picture about what God says about what love is and what love looks like, we won't recognize it when we see it. Isn't that that always the way? It's like if you don't know what you're looking for, it's pretty hard to find it. It seems kind of fairly obvious, doesn't it? So so I want to, I guess, look at the five love languages, uh, the five ways or, you know, kind of ways that we express or communicate love and then start to look in the Bible for ways that God expresses love in those languages to us, His people. Because if God's love for us is perfect, then it should communicate to all of us depending on uh, you know, irrespective of what our love language might be, what, what kind of our, our, our bias or our wiring or our personality or our upbringing, whatever it kind of um, it looks like, God's love should be demonstrated like that. So, so who can tell me just quickly what are the five love languages for those of you who have heard them or familiar with the terms? First, baby. Words of affirmation, absolutely. Positive, encouraging words that build up spoken verbally. All right, what's another one? Quality Quality time. That's right, excellent. We have some quality time people in our family, don't we? So spending quality time, we have undivided attention to spend with that person, no distractions, no other priorities. You're there, you're present, you're engaged. Quality time. What's another? Acts of service is a great one. All right. So that, that's kind of doing things to, to help, doing practical, showing love in practical ways. If you've got a, a husband or a wife that wants to love you by cleaning up after you, um, their love language might be acts of service. It might be making you a cup of tea or, you know, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of different ways. Making sure the car is serviced might be a way of communicating love uh, and looked after. There's all kinds of things that come under that acts of service. All right, what else have we got? Quality time, we've done words of affirmation, we've done quality time, done acts of service, physical touch is one. So um, aside from the you know, obvious physical touch between a husband and a wife, there are all kinds of ways of expressing loves, handshakes, um, hugs, sorry that was the word I meant instead of loves, but hugs, um, a, a pat on the back, a, you know, that sort of physical proximity, handshakes, fist bumps, all that kind of thing, whether you're a guy or a girl, I don't know how you express that in a culturally appropriate way, um, your physical touch. And the last one, who knows the last? Gifts, yeah. Why do you say that with a like question mark? Um, giving of gifts is a great way to show someone that we care about them. When, when you receive a gift that is really thoughtful um, and, and meaningful and shows how much that person knows you as a person and understands you and has expressed that through a meaningful gift. Uh, that can be a great way of expressing love. All right, so we've got those five down. You understand what they're about and they kind of go, yep, those are great ways of communicating love. So let's have a look at some things in the Word of God that communicate God expressing love in some of those ways. All right, so words of affirmation. How does God love you with words of affirmation? Do you remember what it was like for some of you back in the... For some of you, maybe you haven't experienced this yet, you haven't experienced this yet, but when you were dating and you were madly in love and, you know, that that person that you were in love with, you just could not get enough time with that person. No matter how much time you spent together, it just wasn't enough. 
Maybe you've experienced that. I remember being a little bit like that, being young and in love and we would see each other every day but it was, you know, we had to kind of have a curfew that said, you know, this, you've got to be home and at a reasonable hour and we couldn't get enough of each other. Uh, and, and one of the things that um, I, I remember was that I spent a lot of time thinking about my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but she was my girlfriend then, or fiancé. But even when we weren't together, I was often thinking about her. And uh, maybe uh, if you remember what it was like to be in that, that moment and in that position, maybe you did things to communicate or to express how much you were thinking about that person when you weren't together. Maybe you uh, sent them a card and wrote a, a nice little a note or something in the card. Uh, maybe you, you bought a gift or, you know, maybe you sent cards or, or flowers or chocolates or, you know, maybe you were one of those hopeless romantics and wrote poems, um, you know, read out this wonderful Shakespearean tragedy or something, no, maybe not a tragedy, but <laughs> Shakespearean romance of, a, you know, poetry. I was never much of a poet. I think I, I had a go a few times and, and Kerry thought it was wonderful, but I don't know if she was completely objective about that. I think I probably could have done just about anything and she would have thought it was wonderful, thankfully. <laughs> uh, maybe you wrote a, a note or a love letter. Who's ever received a love letter? Not enough of you. Come on, guys, you're going to have to lift our game. Um, I, I must admit, it's been a while. Um, it's not something that's in my, my regular repertoire these days, much to my um, wife's chagrin, but <laughs> I think she would probably think it was fantastic if I wrote her more love letters. But I, I wanted to share with you something, and you might have seen this before, but it's called The Father's Love Letter. And uh, I, I want us to read this. There's a, a copy in the the back of the pew in front of you. If you want to have a look and, and follow along, you can take that home with you if you like. Hopefully we should have enough copies for everybody. So on the front you can see it says, Father's Love Letter, an intimate message from God to you. So this is essentially, it's a, it's a compilation of paraphrases of verses of Scripture. Okay, so everything here, all the little, you can see all the little numbers um, we're going to read 50 passages of Scripture right now, okay? <laughs> it won't take too long. He says, My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. 
My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. I reckon I might have used that line once or twice in my love letters. (laughs) And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvellous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God, Abba. Isn't that, isn't that great? Isn't that just, and, and, you know, and, and every word, you know, is, is scripture and you can, the, the references are on the bank, you can look them up and, and check them paraphrased, but, you know, the, all of those concepts, those ideas, those thoughts are expressed by God in His Word to us and what He has revealed to us. Is there any question about whether God sort of, you know, speaks to us with words of affirmation? That's pretty convincing, isn't it? I think it's pretty convincing. (laughs) So words of affirmation. God speaks over us again and again and again with his words that build us up, that communicate to us with words how much he loves us and cares for us. Secondly, quality time. This is an interesting one. Um, there's, there's a couple of scriptures that I want to share, but it, it's one of the things that it's, it's easier for us to kind of think about us showing God how much we love him by saying, I want to spend time with you, God. It's difficult for us to kind of go, to, I guess, to see or to recognize God showing that to us, God wanting to spend time with us. And sometimes we feel undeserving of that. Sometimes we feel unworthy of God's attention, don't we? Sometimes we ask those questions and say, God, why would you care about me? Why would your thoughts towards me be, be so many? Why would I be on your mind? That God says you're my child and I love you and I I want to spend time with you. Um, A couple of quick scriptures here. 
Um, God wants to talk with you. First Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, never stop praying. When we understand prayer is not just us giving our list of, you know, our, our shopping list to God, but, but dialogue and communication and talking with God, then when God says never stop praying, when God says He wants to, us to be praying and dialoguing and talking with Him all the time, regularly, without giving up, that kind of says something about God's desire, doesn't it? It says that God actually desires that. God wants to spend time with us. He wants to dialogue, He wants to talk, He wants to share. He wants your attention. Um, going to church can be a way, you know, coming and worshipping together, listening, giving God our undivided attention, as we talked about quality time before. Um, It's more than just about being in the same room. So coming to church isn't automatically or necessarily spending quality time with God because how many of you know, There are, I'm sure that we can probably all remember days when we came and we weren't really all that present. Like we were present physically, but maybe not emotionally or mentally or spiritually. Our thoughts were off somewhere else with that argument that we just had or with what we've got to do this afternoon or with, with all the problems that we've got coming up at work this week. Or, you know, and, and maybe our attention wasn't really here and uh, 100% the way that maybe God would have desired it to be or we would have hoped it might be. Believe me, I know uh, being married to a person for whom quality time is very important just being in the same room does not count. <laughs> does not make her feel loved if we're just kind of, you know, happen to be in the same room watching TV for a while together. That does not count as quality time. It does not count towards, um, you know, I don't get any points for that. <laughs> she doesn't come away going, gee, I feel really loved because we just watched TV together for an hour. Um, you know, she, she wants my attention. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, God, God wants to give us His undivided attention. You know, and He promises that when we speak, that He will listen. That when we speak, He will not be too busy. That when we come to Him and, and share our burdens or, or express our joy or, you know, whatever it might be that we come and we bring to God, it says, you know, it talks about Him being present with us, having His ear. One of the things that I love, uh, Psalm 121 talks, uh, I think we have it here on the screen, it says, He will not let you stumble, the one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. It kind of reminded me, how many of you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? Um, You can read it in 1 Kings 18 with all the prophets of, of Baal. Do you remember that story? And they had this big competition, right? Because Baal idol worship was, was rife throughout Israel and Elijah was like, you know, this needs to stop when he get come back. It was Ahab and Jezebel who brought this in. And they had this big contest and they said, all right, we'll set up two altars. One altar for God, one altar for, for your idols, Baal. And you've got 450 priests. Whichever God burns up the sacrifice with fire will be acknowledged as the true God. And so all the prophets of Baal are there and they're dancing around, 450 people around this massive big altar and they're praying and they're crying out morning till night, all day long. They're cutting themselves and off blood offerings and 
all kinds of weird practices that I'm sure they were going on. And Elijah's there and, you know, you can imagine he's probably quiet for a while at the start and as time goes on and time goes on and time goes on, he starts, you know, poking a little bit of fun. You know, he starts to mock him and go, come on guys, you know, how come he hasn't answered yet? You know, maybe he's busy, you know. Maybe he's uh, off travelling or, you know, maybe he's really deep in thought right now or something. Maybe that's not why. Maybe if you just call out a little bit louder, you'll get his attention. You know, <laughs> you know I, I think some translations even uh, have uh, Elijah saying, you know, maybe he's relieving himself or, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But you kind of get this impression that Elijah's kind of, you know, he knows the outcome of this and he's just having a little bit of fun at their expense. And um, at the end of the story, God burns up the sacrifice and, and people acknowledge that he's the, the real God the one with power, the one that's not just a a worthless idol made of human hands of gold or silver, but a God of power. But it's a little bit like that when I I think about this kind of idea. You know, God is is never too busy. He's He's never asleep on the job. He's never gone off. He never needs to take a break from you. That's a little bit hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> never needs to take a break. Never, never gets fed up with us and says, that's it, you know, come back tomorrow, done with you for today. You know, pe- people do that with us, don't they? But God never does. He loves quality time with you. Number three, giving gifts. God is a great gift giver. How many of you know that? All right, we can skip this one then. No, I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Very familiar verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son. That's right. He, gave, he gives us everything we need. Uh, have a look at James 1 verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. There's, there's so many good things in our life that we have to be thankful for. And we need to acknowledge that they're gifts from God. Uh, Luke 11, this great little passage of Scripture here, when Jesus is talking, He says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Jesus is saying, your Heavenly Father wants to give you the greatest gift ever, Himself. He wants to put His Spirit in you that will equip and enable, will give you wisdom, will give you power, will give you strength, will give you intimacy with God, will seal you for redemption. I haven't got it up here on the screen. First Timothy talks about how God gives us... Uh, gifts and, and blessings of material things for our enjoyment. You know, it's like we don't often think about that aspect of God, just giving us things just to enjoy, just just to have fun with and, and that sort of thing. But but First Timothy says that happens. God is our faithful provider. Philippians 4.19 says, This same God who takes care of me... Paul is saying, I've, I've got enough, I've got plenty, I'm, I'm blessed beyond understanding. He says, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He says, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing 
for every need. And we could go on and on and on. We could talk about uh, Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, you know, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Your Father knows you need all these things and He'll give them to you if you seek His kingdom. You know, there's, there's all kinds of scriptures that we could pull out that show that God is a giver. All right, so gifts. What was next? Acts of service. Acts of service. Who here loves acts of service? Who here loves it when someone just does something for you yeah a few of you do yep it's okay like you're allowed to have more than one like you're allowed to like more than one type of communicating of love um i know that kerry's got four i think no (laughs) and different different levels of importance but you know it's always nice when people express and communicate love but acts of service is a really interesting one isn't it we know that jesus talked about um about us as believers and our call to be servants to, to love one another, to serve one another. But Jesus demonstrated this beautifully um, through his life and the way that he served. Um, I was reading this passage of scripture just the other day and uh, it's in, in John 13. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. John 13, it goes on from here and it talks about how Jesus got up from the table and he put a, a towel around his waist and he washed the feet of his disciples. But it was this little expression at the end when it says he loved them to the very end. Um, in, in some translations, uh, in, in one of the, the Bible that I was reading at the time, it says he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. So your Bible might have that as a footnote maybe, but the reason that we have that, this expression to the very end, is linked to the expression to telestai. And that is a, 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 I think it's an Aramaic word, that when we, we hear Jesus utter when he's on the cross, when Jesus utters that word, those words, when he says, it is finished, it's this word to telestai. And it means it is, it is complete. It was often used in, in relation to debts. And when a debt was finally paid off in full, they would write this tetelestai across it, say that the debt was paid in full. It was finished, it was complete, it was done forever finished. And there, there's a very, uh, a very close link between the words that are used in this phrase here where it says, when he loved them to the very end. And, and so when Jesus then goes on and, and serves uh, and washes, the, the, you know, this foot washing period, um, what, what, what comes then is, a, a, becomes a prophetic act or an acting out beforehand of his upcoming death on their behalf. The message for the disciples was that they were to love one another, not just in humble, self-effacing service, but were to be willing to die for one another. Philippians 2, we read this, uh, Paul writes this in reference to Jesus and it says, He existed in the form of God, yet He gave no thought to seizing equality with God as His supreme prize. When Jesus came to earth, He could have very easily used His power to gain a position, uh, like an earthly position, He could have become a king. At times they wanted to make Him king and He had to slip away. 
He had, to, he had to sneak off so that they couldn't make him king. Jesus could have very, you know, when he working miracles and, and all those kinds of things, he could have uh, gained for himself a position of luxury, of comfort. He could have had people that would serve him. But instead, he chose to become uh, a servant. Verse 7 there says, Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Though he could have been king, he chose to serve and to lay down his life for others. And we see throughout Jesus' ministry, it is, you know, yes, his death was the ultimate expression of choosing to serve and choosing to give himself for others. But we see it a characteristic of his entire ministry and his, and his life. We see Jesus and the, the crowds would come and, you know, they would, they would want to be healed and Jesus would heal them. And they wanted to be taught and Jesus would teach them. And so much of his life was, was giving out. I mean, yes, he had healthy boundaries. You know, there were times when he would retreat and recharge and spend time just with his inner circle or in, in private, alone with God. But so much of his life was characterized by serving others. He was willing to be interrupted. He's going on a trip, on a journey somewhere and someone calls out and he stops and he talks to that person. He interacts with them, brings healing and wholeness, gives them dignity, God's expression to us of who He is when He communicates to us. He says, I want to, you know, part of that is I want to do things to bless you. I want to, I want to, I want to actually, it, it, is, it is a weird concept, isn't it? To think that God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the one who is enthroned in glory, actually chooses at times to do things for you. It's a little hard at times to to kind of wrap our head around that one, isn't it? But God has expressed his love for us in becoming a servant. All right, last one, physical touch. This is a tricky one when it comes to God, isn't it? Now we let's I, <laughs> maybe maybe it's one of the hardest of the five to to understand uh, how that applies to us. I, like we can look at how God is revealed in the person of Jesus, and that helps us. So let's do that. Um, Matthew chapter eight, verses one to three. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Now we understand that leprosy was a disease that was not really very well understood in first century Israel. Uh, we, we believe that it is actually not even necessarily always exactly the same disease. It was a kind of a variety of things that had similar symptoms and repercussions, loss of sensation and feeling and, uh, and all kinds of, you know, skin lesions and things like that. 
but when you, if you were a leper, you were an outcast of society. Everybody was afraid that they were going to catch leprosy from you. And you would be considered unclean. You couldn't worship in the temple. Um, uh, anybody who came in contact with you couldn't worship in the temple. So nobody wanted to come into contact with you. And so lepers had to call out and warn people before they got too close. They had to, you know, call out, Lep, leper, leper, so that people would know enough to stay away and not make themselves unclean or risk contagion. Um, so I guess maybe we can relate to that a little bit more in um, these days than, than perhaps what we could have six months ago. Um, you know, keep, keep your distance, you know, I don't want your germs. Uh, but we see the power in this statement. The very fact that this statement is even recorded here in this passage of Scripture speaks to how significant this action of Jesus was. That even when they were writing down that Jesus, that the Gospel writers were writing down years later the, these stories about Jesus, that this stood out as being significant that Jesus touched the leper. And note the order. Like He didn't heal him first and then touch him. He touched him first and then healed him. Jesus displays his love for this man with a touch. He says, I'm willing. When Jesus healed the daughter of Jairus, or brought the daughter of Jairus back to life after she died, he says he, he took her by the hand and helped her up. So many passages throughout Scripture where it says, you know, uh, many times Jesus laid his hands on the sick. He touched them. And Jesus uh, came across a blind man one time. He even made mud out of spit and rubbed it on the dude's eyes. You know, maybe that's not the kind of physical touch we're really looking for. Uh, <laughs> that, that would probably have grossed some of us out more than others. But, um, you know, Jesus interacted with people. You know, and he only allowed people to be present with him to touch. I mean, we're not told of all the ways that that physical touch was a part of Jesus' life, but we can imagine you know, some, some of them were maybe, you know, not as significant as others. I'm sure there were times when he, he you know, I don't know whether, they, whether, he, whether handshaking probably wasn't really a thing back then, what they did. Um, but that, that's part of the origin of, of the handshake is that it's a way of expressing trust. Because ultimately that's what touch communicates. Touch communicates trust. Touch communicates I'm willing to let you into my bubble of personal space. Some people would rather keep out of that bubble, uh, you know, slightly greater than the arm's length. But when we, when, when we choose to hug someone or, or shake hands or, you know, to be in close proximity, we're saying, I trust you enough to let you get close to me. I trust you enough that you're not going to, you know, to, to let you get close enough to cause me harm. That, that was one of the things with, with handshaking is when you shake somebody's hand, you have to get close enough and it was a way of expressing, I trust you, I'm not bringing any weapons, I'm using my weapon hand to, to clasp your arm or your hand, um, I, I'm kind of coming close to you and, and trusting you. While God doesn't have physical form that we can touch and feel with our physical senses, God does want to draw close to us. James 4 verse 8 talks about as, as we draw close to God, God draws close to us. And so there's this sense in which God 
God, God says, I want to draw close to you. I want to come you know, to this, this point where we trust one another, where there's this level of, of intimacy. I want to come and get inside your bubble. I don't want you to keep me at arm's length. I want you to let me in. And he offers to let us in, into his presence and into intimacy with him. And he chooses not to keep us at arm's length anymore. He says, come and discover me. And, that, and scripture is full of all these kind of uh, words and descriptions of, you know, kind of spiritual interactions. You know, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, things like that kind of come to mind of... Uh, spiritual and, and mental pictures of this kind of interaction. So we've looked this morning at, at some of those ways, beginning to see, I mean, we, there, there's a whole host of other scriptures that we could have used uh, to highlight these, but as, as we've kind of looked at these different ways of communicating love, I hope that you've seen the way that God has communicated to us as human beings throughout history, as His children with words of affirmation, with quality time, with acts of service, with, with gifts and, and with physical touch, if you like, in a, in a spiritual sense, by drawing close. How God's Word talks about Him demonstrating His love to us in all of those ways. And we've, we've really only scratched the surface today. Maybe there's other things that you can think of. Maybe there's other passages of Scripture. Maybe, maybe you're able to personalize this a little bit more and say, you know what, there are experiences that I've had in my life where I can remember God demonstrating His love for me, when I can remember God communicating His love to me. What does that look like for you? What, what do you remember? What are those experiences for you? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was that, you know, provision when you were financially in need and God provided you with, you know, funds out of, you know, nowhere or provided you with a job or whatever it was that you were looking for. Maybe it was those words of affirmation where, you know, you just absolutely, whether it was through the Bible or whether it was through another person sharing a, a word or something with you and you just felt that that was from the heart of God and you felt affirmed and built up by those words. Maybe it was just you know, even that, um, that, that, that sense of physical touch where you just felt that closeness to God at some moment. You just felt that God was just, His presence was all over you and that He was drawing near and being present with you in that moment. Whatever that looks like for you, just really felt that God wants you to, to just focus on that and remember those things, remember those moments. Remember that He is a loving, wonderful, heavenly Father who wants to grow that relationship with you, wants you to know how much He loves you. Maybe you've never really felt that. Maybe you're, you're struggling to think of any moments where you felt like God actually loved you and cared about you. I encourage you, um, look at Scripture with that lens. Look at Scripture with those eyes to see God communicating that to you because He's wanting to reveal that to you today. He's wanting you to know that, to understand that, 
to receive and accept that whether or not it makes sense, whether or not you feel like you deserve it, God loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that love that you have for us that is passionate and unending. Lord, we know that we haven't really done anything great to deserve that. Probably the opposite in in many ways at many times. But Father, we thank you that you give it freely, that you call us your children. We thank you for the, 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 the expressions of your love toward us that are too many for us to even count. Father, we thank you that just as you've expressed it over and over again and we read that in your word that is there and undeniable and and beyond dispute, Lord, that you are wanting to show us in our lives today how much you care for us too. Lord, that your your love is is not finished. (laughs) Your your love has not come to an end, but it it goes on and it still exists and you are still loving us and wanting to, to communicate and express that to us today. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would have eyes to see and hearts to receive your love. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au. Check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.